Good morning and welcome. We're grateful for your presence. We're so thankful for the opportunity to be together today. We're thankful for our visitors. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We typically have a large number of visitors with us from week to week, and for that we're always thankful. It might be the case that you're looking for a church home, and we always invite you to consider the work here. We'd love to have you come and join hands with us as we do our best to make known New Testament Christianity in this community. As was mentioned a moment ago, we have a, a large number of our young folks that are away on a mission trip this week in Tiger, Georgia, and they left yesterday afternoon and will be returning on Friday evening this week, and so we pray for a, a successful week, and uh, we believe that good things will happen. I do want to make mention of the fact that not only are they conducting a VBS this week in Tiger, Georgia, but two weeks from now, they'll be conducting another VBS at the Getwell Church. And so, uh, you know, we talk about all the activities that go on here at Olive Branch, and I was thinking about our young people, and they are active and working, and we're very, very proud of them and all the great things that they're doing. And we, we believe that good things will happen in their lives as a result of their commitment to the Lord. We're going to be looking today at Luke 15. We want to talk today about how valuable our soul is in the eyes of God. I think there are a lot of people that sometimes underestimate their worth in the eyes of Almighty God. But what you and I have to understand is that we are of great value in the eyes of Jehovah God. God has deemed each and every person of great worth in his sight. That worth is reflected over and over again in the pages of the Bible. In Luke chapter 15, we have an account of the scribes and the Pharisees murmuring because Jesus welcomed tax collectors and sinners. They looked down upon these people. They viewed themselves as the upper crust. And so Jesus, in response to this attitude, presents a triad of parables. What I want us to do today is to focus on the parable of the lost coin. Because in this parable, I think we come face to face with how we are invaluable in the eyes of Almighty God. And that's what I want us to see, how valuable we are in the eyes of our Lord. I want to begin by talking about, for a moment or two, the fact that the silver was valuable. Listen, if you would, to what Jesus said in verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp? Sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. In ancient times, when a Jewish girl would marry, she wore a headband. And on that headband, there would be ten silver coins, somewhat similar to our wedding band today. And so you can understand how this woman viewed this one silver coin as something of great value. 
not only did it represent financial value, but there was also sentimental value. This was something very precious. It was priceless to her. Well, in using this illustration, what Jesus is trying to stress to those in his day was the intrinsic value of the human soul. I think when we begin to look at the scriptures, when you just reflect upon what God has said concerning those of us who belong to the human family, you see right off that we are of great worth in his eyes. I want to just share with you a couple of thoughts here. Did you know that God views each of us as people of great worth or cost? The Bible talks about how valuable we are in the eyes of Almighty God. For example, in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Paul said, If God spared not his own son. Think for a moment about that statement. God did not spare his only begotten son. Why? Because God thought enough of us. God wanted us to be in a relationship with him. What happened in the Garden of Eden, the transgression of Adam and Eve, brought a wedge between the Creator and the human family. And so God set in motion His redemptive plan in Genesis 3.15, the promised seed. And so from that time forward, God began unveiling His plan to redeem the human family. There are a lot of folks in our world today that do not view themselves as people of worth. What God is saying is, you are costly in his eyes. God spared no expense in redeeming you. As a matter of fact, God sent his only begotten son so that you might enjoy the blessings of redemption. And then I think about the fact that we are cherished by God. And the idea is that God loves each and every one of us. Listen to what Jesus said in John 3.16, a passage all of us are familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not the son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God sent his son into this world because he loved each and every person. That includes us. How many people in our world today have the idea no one loves them? And then add to that the fact that there are a lot of people in our world today that view themselves of little or no worth. And what God is saying is, number one, you're costly. Number two, God is saying, you are cherished in my eyes. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, the Bible says, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8, he said, but God commendeth his own love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God said through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. 
you will never find anybody on this earth that loves you any more than Almighty God. Listen to the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 4 when he said, But God, who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Paul here speaks of God's great love. Let me tell you what. God loves each and every one of us. And then there's a third thing. We talk about the value of the silver coin and how that represents the value of the human family. Did you know that you are cared for by a loving God in heaven? In other words, God cares about you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, the Bible says, Casting all your care on him. Why? For he cares for you. So we talk about how costly we are in the eyes of God. We're cherished in the eyes of God. And then we have a God who genuinely cares for us. Now you step back and you look at people in our world today. There are a lot of folks that suffer from self-esteem problems. And they have little or no self-worth. They view themselves as expendable, unworthy. They have the idea that they are of little value in the eyes of the world and in many respects maybe in the eyes of God. They have the idea that no one loves them and add to that the idea that no one cares about them. Well, I'm here to tell you that God in heaven cares about you. God in heaven cares enough about you that he sent his only begotten son into the world to die for you, individually speaking. The Bible says, speaking of Jesus, that he bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. It's by his stripes we've been healed, according to Isaiah chapter 53. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study. It has to do with the search. You see, this woman lost one coin. And so the search was vigilant. Listen again to what Jesus said. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? When she lost that one coin, she became intensely, well, intensely active in searching out her house so that she might secure the coin that was lost. Now she did it because it was of great value to her. We talk about what it means to be lost. And I think the lost coin represents a lost soul. Did you know that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came into a world filled with sinners, seeking out those belonging to the human family. Why? To save them. I mentioned a moment ago how God has spared no expense in the salvation of our soul. And so here's a woman, she's lost a coin. It has monetary value, 
sentimental value, and she's going to do everything within her power to get that coin back. God has done everything within his power to secure the salvation of your eternal soul. What does it mean to be lost? Think with me for just a moment about the lost. First, the lost are in darkness. In ancient times, the house that this woman would have lived in would have had no windows. And so, naturally, it would be it would be dark. So she had to light a lamp to search for that coin. Did you know that people who are in who are entrenched in a life of sin, they're in darkness? Jesus said on one occasion, I am the light of the world. He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness. Darkness signifying a relationship estranged from Almighty God. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul would write to the church at Ephesus, people that had been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And he would say in verse 8, you were once darkness. But he said, now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In Romans chapter 13, verse 12, Paul talks about how the day is far spent. And he said, therefore, cast off the works of darkness. Again, darkness signifying an estranged relationship with Almighty God. Those of us that belong to Christ, we're trying to walk in the light. When people live a life of sin, they are in what we would call spiritual darkness. The God of this age has blinded their minds. They're in a state of darkness. And then there's a second thing. The lost are not only in darkness, but they're in what I would call spiritual darkness dirt. Again, you talk about a house that this woman would have occupied. Not only was it dark, but the floor would have been composed of dirt. And so that coin is not only in darkness, but it's down in the dirt. Is that not a representation of what it means to live a life of sin? Sometimes people talk about how they feel dirty because of their lifestyle, because of things they've said and done, places they've been. There is the stench, the soil of sin. In Isaiah chapter 57, Isaiah talks about the wicked being like the restless sea that tosses up dirt and mire. Think about the words of Paul. When Ananias came to Saul of Tarsus and Saul had been guilty of persecuting and killing followers of the way, that is, New Testament Christians, Ananias said, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins. Sometimes our clothes get dirty and soiled. And so we have soap detergent that hopefully will rid our clothes of soil, dirt, grease, whatever. The cleansing blood of Jesus has the power to rid the soul 
of the dirt of sin. There's a third thing that I think is linked to this idea of darkness and dirt. And that is that the lost become defaced. In ancient times, well, really much like our day and time, coins would have an imprint on them. And typically they would have the imprint of an emperor, a ruler. Over time, what would happen to the image of that emperor or ruler on that coin? Well, if it was lost in the soil or in the dirt, over a period of time, that image could become defaced, tarnished. It would erode. Did you know that we have been made in the image and the likeness of Almighty God? Here's what sin does to the human soul. It tarnishes that image. You see, I have been made in the image and the likeness of a loving God in heaven, according to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. That distinguishes me and you from the lower forms of creation. We are different in the eyes of God. We have been made in His image and His likeness. Sin tarnishes, defaces that image. I wasn't made for sin. But you see, go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve transgressed the will of Almighty God, didn't they? What the first Adam lost because of sin, we have regained by Jesus Christ. There are some people in our world today have the idea that we have been born in sin. We haven't been born in sin. Sin is the transgression of the law according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. When we choose to live a life of sin, in effect, we are defacing the very image of Almighty God. There's another thing I want to share with you very quickly. And that is the fact that the lost, typically speaking, go deeper and deeper in a life of sin. A coin that was lost on a dirt floor. If that coin is not retrieved over time, it's going to be trampled into the dirt. It's going to go deeper and deeper, isn't it? That's what happens when people choose to live in sin. Here's what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 at about verse 13. He said, evil men grow worse and worse. We talk about the Bible being the standard by which we're to live. The farther we remove ourselves from the word of God, what happens? Well, we go deeper and deeper deeper and deeper into a life of sin. There are some people that in their minds they have gone so deep in a life of sin they view themselves as impossible candidates for salvation. Listen again to what Paul said in Ephesians 2, but God who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sin and the idea is, when you were deep in sin, God sent His Son to die for you. 
In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, Paul said, When we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. We don't typically view ourselves as ungodly people. But if we're outside of Christ, we are viewed ungodly. There are people in our world today. The devil has sold them a bill of goods and they have bought into a life of sin. And over time, they have just gone deeper and deeper and deeper into a lifestyle. As a result of that, they suffer a lot of consequences. You ever thought about the physical effects of sin, the emotional effects, the guilt, the burden? How many people are so deep in sin in our world today? They're going to the liquor store. They're going to the convenience store. They're looking for some form of prescriptive drug to ease their mind from the lifestyle they're engaged in. The only thing that's going to cleanse the mind and soul, the blood of Jesus. And then there is a final thing I would share with you, and that is the lost. Those who are lost because of sin, they are in disuse. This coin that was lost was of no value in the dirt, was it? God, God wants to use us to His glory. But the only way that He can use us to His glory is if we belong to Him. Those who live in sin, they are, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, the servants of sin. Paul said, but God be thanked that whereas you were the servants of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine delivered unto you. And being free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. He asked the question, what fruit had you in those things whereof you're now ashamed? The end of those things is death, but now you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. The picture is, somebody, the picture is that of somebody who's obeyed the gospel. At one time, they were living a life of sin. They were entrenched in a life of sin. They obeyed the gospel. They're now God's masterpiece. He can use them to his glory. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says that we have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. He prefaced that by saying we are his workmanship, the idea being we're his masterpiece. As a masterpiece of Almighty God, he can use us to his glory. But we have to be a willing participant. So, the search was vigilant. Thirdly, the success was visible. Listen now to what Jesus said in verse 9 concerning this lost coin. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let me just talk to you for a minute about the recovery of this lost coin. The Bible says that this woman rejoiced. She summed it up by saying, rejoice with me. When a sinner comes home to Almighty God, there, are, there is rejoicing. First, there is rejoicing among friends and family members. That is, there is rejoicing on earth. Those of us that belong to the church here, we have rejoiced in recent months because there have been any number of people that have been baptized into Christ. 
There have been some that have made the decision to come home to the Lord. So we rejoice with them. Because here were people that at one time were estranged from Almighty God, and now they're back in fellowship with a loving God in heaven. We give thanks for that. James said that when somebody who is in the body of Christ, and they become unfaithful, and they are restored, a soul is saved from death. So a lost soul has been reclaimed. There is rejoicing but then there is also rejoicing by the Father. There is rejoicing on earth. I would grant that. But the Bible says there is rejoicing in heaven. Listen again to what Jesus said. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now you think about all the people in our world. Some seven billion souls. God is mindful of each and every precious soul. And the Bible says that when one sinner, just one, comes home, there is rejoicing. What's that say to us about how valuable we are in the eyes of Almighty God? It says, let me tell you what, you can't put a price tag on a human soul. A human soul is worth more than everything this world has to offer. Now, I think about the angels of God rejoicing, but I think about God in heaven rejoicing. Why is that? Because God wants you to be saved. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. And note that word, any. God doesn't want one single solitary soul to be lost. God's desire is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God is interested in you and me. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you're not worth anything. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you're not loved, that you're not cared for, that you are a worthless human being because in the eyes of Almighty God, you are of great worth. When Jesus was surrounded by the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, and they were self-righteous and arrogant, and sadly, they failed to understand that they were in the presence of the Messiah, the Son of God. And here you have the tax collectors and the sinners, and they're coming to Jesus because they want to be around the very Son of God. Well, I understand that the scribes and the Pharisees I understand they didn't get it. And what Jesus was saying in the first century is simply this. It doesn't matter how far down the totem pole somebody might be in a life of sin. They are still worth something in his eyes. God did everything possible to save you and to save me. But we have to have the wisdom to understand God wants us to be His and then do what's necessary to become His. Here's what you need to do. First, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God because without faith it's impossible to be well-pleasing to Him according to Hebrews chapter 11. Then you have to repent, that is to give up a life of sin. 
quit the sinning business. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll perish, Luke 13, 3. Those who believe in Jesus, repent of their sins, are more than happy to confess their belief in Jesus as the Son of God. The Bible says that we are then to be immersed in a watery grave of baptism. We're immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that we might contact the blood of Christ. We have to go where it was shed. It was shed in death, John 19, 34. When we're baptized into Christ, we contact the blood of Christ, wherein we enjoy the remission of our sins, Acts 2, 38. God puts us in his body, the church, Acts 2, verse 47. It's in that sphere that we enjoy all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Let me tell you what. If you're not a Christian, I don't know what would hold you back from becoming a child of God. I don't know what would keep you from obeying God's plan to save you from sin. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. Do what they did on Pentecost Day. If you do what they did, you'll become what they were, that is, a New Testament Christian. If you'll be faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. Maybe you're here, you're not faithful. Maybe your life is not what it ought to be as a child of God. Could we pray with you and for you? You know, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?